oftentimes we think, okay, if I take a stand, I've, I've got to be snarky and I've got to be kind of rat. You don't have to get into it at all. You can actually say, oh, that's actually a decision that I've made for myself. I recognize that you don't abide by that and that's completely fine, but it's not something I really, it's that's up for discussion. Like you don't have to talk all about macronutrients and get all involved in it if you don't want to talk about it. Welcome back to the Essentially You podcast, all about reinventing your health with safer, cheaper, more effective natural solutions and powerful lifestyle changes so that you become the CEO of your health. I am your host, Dr. Marisa Snyder. Growing up, I was always a people pleaser and my people pleasing, as you can imagine, did not always serve me. It rarely did. It's something that has taken a lot of work to overcome, and there are still days and moments when I revert to my former self because it feels easier. So how about you? Have you found yourself conceding to something because it was just easier to not raise a stink, or you didn't want to upset that person even if it didn't serve you? Last summer, I flew into San Francisco, California to visit one of my dearest friends, and I hadn't yet updated her on my autoimmune diagnosis and my new diet changes, which were pretty significant at the time. We had reservations that night to one of our favorite restaurants in the city called Wayfair Tavern. Now, Wayfair Tavern is known for their incredible deviled eggs, their fried chicken, and their yummy popover bread, among many other comfort foods. Back in my mind, as we're heading there, I knew that I couldn't eat most of the items on the menu because I was on an autoimmune protocol that meant no eggs, no gluten, no grains, no sugar, no fried anything, no alcohol, no caffeine. I mean, the list was long. Now, a little backstory on this is that this is a friend who had always laughed and given me a hard time at the many food restrictions that I had made over the years and at times convinced me to let go of that food restriction or whatever I was doing for that particular dinner or that night out. I cannot count how many times I cheated on my food plan when I was out with her because she gave me such a hard time about it. And many of those times I caved because it was just easier to do that than to get into it with her about why I chose to remove those foods from my diet in the first place. So as you can imagine, I was having a really hard time saying anything to my bestie on our drive there because a big part of me didn't want to ruin the night with my very strict restrictions. So I kept my mouth shut on our drive there. Finally, we arrived to Wayfair Tavern and we check in for our table and oh my goodness, the smells in that restaurant were so incredible and it just reminded me of those times that we had such incredible dinners there. We sit down at our table and as we are looking at the menu, my friend begins listing off all the things we should get. The bread, the deviled eggs, the burrata and tomato salad, the fried chicken, because you know that's on the list. And I finally take a deep breath. I set my menu down and I vulnerably shared with her my boundaries around food and what was going on with my body. As I was sharing with her where I was on my autoimmune journey, I made it really clear that I cannot, under any circumstances, eat food that would cause inflammation in my body and that I would really love for her to support me by not pushing me towards eating foods that I really can't eat. 
And by asking very specifically what I needed from her, she was clear on how to support me and meet my needs in that moment. Now, I want you to know that the dinner was still amazing. Wafer Tavern had a lot of options for me, and it was in no way uncomfortable for either of us moving forward that night. That doesn't mean I can't tell you how hard it was to have the conversation, but I knew it was time for me to establish a boundary that would really support me in our friendship. And given that it was so uncomfortable, I mean, that whole day, I was trying to figure out how I was going to have this conversation. I have a feeling that you have been in situations yourself and didn't necessarily know how to create a safe boundary, or maybe you just chose not to and it didn't really feel good for you in the end. I can name many instances where I didn't create boundaries for the sake of pleasing people. So today I invited Amy E. Smith, who has helped thousands of people create boundaries that serve everyone involved, and I'm thrilled to have you hear her real talk about what it really looks like to establish clear boundaries, and she goes an even step further and discusses what it looks like to actually enforce them. I don't know about you, but woo, it's one thing to create a boundary and make it super clear. It's a whole nother conversation to enforce them. So I'm really excited about this conversation today. But before I bring her on, I wanna take a moment and celebrate you because every single day I am blessed to hear from new listeners who are recommended by you. And one such listener is Trulia. She reached out on iTunes. She actually left a review on iTunes. So thank you so much, girl. Here is what Trulia had to say. Hi, Dr. Marisa. I wanted to take a moment and shout out one of my favorite podcasts ever. Your episode on the Dutch test inspired me to take control of my hormones and get some much needed answers that I've been waiting for. Once I found out that my cortisol levels were through the roof, I listened to every episode you had on balancing hormones and started taking control. I am still growing and still in the process of feeling my beat, but I feel like this show has continued to empower me through it all. Thanks a bunch. Well, thank you so much for your epic win, Trulia, and I'm so happy to shout you out today. I am so glad that you were feeling more prepared than ever to balance your hormones. And if you are listening, I have another wonderful resource for you, Trulia. I would love to gift you a signed copy of the EO Hormone Solution book, which just recently hit its first year anniversary with a personal note from me. So just reach out to me on Facebook or Instagram at Dr. Marisa, and I will get it out to you as soon as possible. Now, if you are listening, welcome to this episode. And if any interview on this podcast or solo episode has helped you in any way, I would be honored to shout you out. You can reach out to me via Instagram, Facebook, or simply review this podcast on iTunes or whatever podcast platform you are plugging into. That way, together, we are changing the way women think about their bodies and empowering them with the knowledge to become the CEO of their health. How incredible is that? So let's jump into this amazing conversation with Amy Smith. But before I bring her on, I want to quickly sing her praises. Amy E. Smith is a certified confidence coach, masterful speaker, and personal empowerment expert. She's the founder of thejoyjunkie.com. She uses her roles as coach, writer, podcaster, and speaker to move individuals to a place of radical personal empowerment and self-love. 
How amazing is that? Let's bring Amy on. Welcome to the Essentially You podcast, Amy Smith. How are you doing today, girl? I'm amazing. I'm excited to connect with you. Oh my gosh, we've already had the most incredible conversation already. I'm like, okay, we got to bring this to the show. Yeah, save it for the show. Save it for the show. Save it for the show. We are talking about people pleasing and we are talking about how to kick it to the curb to own our boundaries, to just say no to stuff that isn't serving us, and to really jump into that self love, self forgiveness, self confidence, all the things that we as women want. Sometimes we just don't know how to activate them maybe because of family, because of work, because of inner mindset beliefs that we're holding on to. And this is your this is your area of expertise. So I'm so happy to have you here. Yay. We're going to have a blast. We're going to have a blast. All right. Well, I would love for you to just have my audience get to know you a little bit better. I've already fallen in love with you. Talk a little bit about your story and what brought you to do, because girl, this is some powerful work. I just want to commend you on bringing this to the world. Thank you. You know, my story I think is is not dissimilar to yours, you know, where it's there's something that you struggle with, something that you're contending with, and I need to find this solution and then it ends up becoming kind of your message. And for me, just a bit of context, I grew up in a very very conservative born again Christian family and I am not that. I certainly respect all different religious faiths, but I tend more towards intuitive healing and some of more of a spiritual practice. So growing up, I was always kind of contending with this intuition that I had that was in direct opposition to sort of the dogma and doctrine that I was raised with. And it all kind of really boiled and came to a head probably in about 07. In the mid- 2000s, I had started going to coaching school and getting involved more in sort of the metaphysical world. And, you know, the secret had come out and everything was a law of attraction and all of those things. And I was really trying to find my footing sort of in that, in that field. And I realized that there was a lot of opposition that I still had with my family of origin. So it kind of came to a head when my, my father passed away in 07. And Another sort of bit of context is that I grew up where I was the oldest. I had two younger brothers, two younger siblings who had very tumultuous paths, jail time, had trouble with the law, that kind of stuff. And I was the one who, you know, was started working when I was 14 and put myself through college, got married young, moved out and very entrepreneurial spirit. So I felt like I was kind of winning at daughter, not to mention that at his service, I spoke to the crowd of hundreds and I also did his makeup for his viewing. So my background was in makeup artistry. So I knew I felt very convicted that I was going to do his makeup. So yes, you are hearing that correctly that I did makeup on my father's corpse. So I feel that I you know, was very much winning at daughter that day. And I, we get back home to my mom's house and she finds it the most opportune time to tell me that she feels that my father and her had failed as parents because myself and my two younger brothers were not, quote, 
walking with the Lord. We weren't following the the path that she had wanted for us. And there was really only one path in her perspective. And the only thing that I could really kind of muster in that moment was to say, you probably shouldn't say that to a child. And she kind of said, well, that's just how I feel. And I realized in that moment that speaking up for yourself and really taking a stand for who you are in this world is not always an ultimatum such as that. It's not always that stark. But I realized that if comes to shove and I have to choose between you, making you happy and making me happy, I'm going to choose me because trying to make everybody else happy is first of all, a fallacy. It's not possible. And it doesn't lead to any sort of fulfillment really. And I oftentimes will say that, you know, putting everybody ahead of yourself consistently is poison disguised as nobility. We think that we are being valiant. We think that we are being so noble. And really what we're doing is we're being liars. We're being inauthentic. And so that really kind of began the process of working in personal development in a way where I could teach people how to find their voice and then actually use it. Because that's the other thing. We, we see a lot in personal development, these great ideas of like, just love yourself or just be confident. And we're like, great, I'm going to get right on that. How? How? Or how do I establish a bound? What does that actually mean? When I'm pregnant and somebody rubs my belly without asking, what do I say in those situations? Or when my mother-in-law is overbearing about what I should or should not be eating, how do I have those really tough conversations? What are the words? What's the vernacular? So that was that scenario I really believe was quite the impetus behind the work that I do now. Mm. And it's such a defining moment for you, right? To just kind of, you know, after hearing that from your mom on such a, such a hard day for everyone in the family and to be able to kind of take your stance in that, I just want to commend you. And so grateful that opened the door for the work that you were doing today. Now, I know that you've dug so deep. Yeah, absolutely. You've dug so deep into this and, and I know people, sometimes we don't even see it. But why are why do we why do you think people are stuck in that constant cycling of people pleasing? And is it all people? I know for me, you know, this is a woman's women's hormone podcast. Do you find it more with women than with men? Speak to me on that as well. I do. I, I do think that it's disproportionate to women. And I think a lot of that is from social programming, that it is, you know, in days of old, I think, God, it's starting to change, but it hasn't changed enough in my opinion. But it was about how pretty you looked and how much dowry you could get. And <laughs> it was really about your utility, who you were as a woman. It wasn't about- were chattel. Yeah, Exactly. So I do think there's also sort of this this really interesting perspective around being in the masculine or needing to behave in a very specific way and lose softness or lose those elements of yourself uh, if you want to get anything done. And I feel very strongly that we can have both strength and softness in everything we do, even in conversation. But to, to your original question, we're wired this way. I mean, even if we look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, one of our primary needs is a sense of belonging. And if we go back to our ancestors, if you did not belong to a tribe or a group, a body of people, that meant impending death. And so now as we've evolved as a species, even though, you know, if your mother-in-law doesn't approve of you, it doesn't actually mean you're going to die, but we still 
on a very subconscious level, have that feeling of, I am in danger if people don't love and accept me. And the other thing I think is just that we've been programmed with all sorts of idioms, like don't rock the boat, sweep it under the rug, don't open up a can of worms. We have all of these ways to say, don't express what you feel or what you think, because God forbid somebody else doesn't agree with you or has to be responsible for their own emotions. Like if they are hurt by that or upset by that, that we must caretake for that. We must make sure that everybody is okay. And I think that's one of the most the biggest fallacy that we have to contend with as women, because we're kind of told that we need to take care of everybody, that we need to, oh gosh, you could never say that to her. That would destroy her. You could never tell your husband what you really need in bed. That would just, you know, kill him and his, whatever it is. So yeah, I think there's a lot of messaging and stuff we have to contend with. Hmm. I agree. Absolutely. Cultural norms. I, you know, one of the, I always talk about this in my story is that one of the reasons why I had burned out was because I was brought up, you know, I grew up in a, a Mexican family and family was always first, it was Catholic Mexican family. And women in particular always put themselves, we were always last. And my grandmother, way that she took care, the way that she treated my mom versus the way that she treated her boys were very, very different, very polarizing. And as women, we were always told that you've got to put family first. And if you ever put yourself first, it was a very selfish act. And operating in that capacity without any boundaries, you just find yourself kind of burning out into the ground for some people, definitely for me. Completely. And I think what you're bringing up here too is sometimes the culture in which you were raised is an additional level, not just American culture, but your ethnic background could also play a huge role in it. And I personally, and perhaps this is my privilege coming out as a white woman, but I do not subscribe to the idea of family above everything. I think we look at massive toxic trauma that's passed down generation to generation based off of these ideas that we come through for family no matter what. And so for me, I think it's not about blood being thicker than water. I feel like it's respect is thicker than water. So if we do not have a mutual respect for one another and you cannot treat me with the respect that I deserve, then I'm not going to get stuck in some sort of obligatory relationship that doesn't serve me. To me, that's martyrdom and then not a way to really live a powerful life. Hmm. I hear that. I absolutely hear that. So that the first step, you know, one, I think that first step is one recognizing one that we're, we're, we're kind of stuck in this pattern, but that next step is recognizing that we've got to establish boundaries. And what I read from so many people is if you don't have boundaries, then in a lot of ways, you're, you're a liar because you're not able to do the thing that you're showing that you're saying you can do. So talk to me about that. Cause that I know for people for the first time they hear that they don't really, it doesn't compute, but it is so true. Well, the first thing that I would say is everybody listening, the place to figure out where I need to establish a boundary is usually the thing that you chronically and consistently complain about. And it's usually the things you complain about to the wrong people. So for instance, if you're furious with the your subordinates at work or your boss and your partner gets the earful, then there is probably a boundary that needs to be, be established. If you 
give an earful to your therapist, but you never talk to your partner about this stuff, you know, that you're chronically complaining about in therapy, then it's likely that you need to establish some kind of boundary in that relationship. So I think if we look at our unrest, our, our discontent, our discomfort, and the things that we can constantly complain about, there's usually an opportunity there for us to be vocal about something. So the way I kind of uh, perceive boundaries and the way I teach boundaries is threefold. It's kind of a threefold process. The first is to decide on the boundary. Like what is it actually? And I think that it's incredibly important for it to be as linear and as definitive and specific as possible. So for example, if you tell, like in my scenario, if I were to tell my family, I need you to respect my spirituality more. Well, what the hell does that mean? We don't know what that means. So, but if I said it would really mean a lot to me, and this is a boundary that I have established, you will be the absolute first person to know if I change my mind about my spiritual path, I will absolutely let you know. But until then, considering I don't give you books on Wiccan or on uh, astrology or energy healing, I would appreciate it if you would give me the same respect and not share with me any works that you think that I need to read and having those sorts of conversations. But the first piece is really delineating that. Or maybe it's something like for your children and every time they go to your in-laws house, they want to feed them stuff that you know, like a bunch of sugar or high fructose corn syrup or stuff that you don't want them to consume. (laughs) I know you looked like appalled. (laughs) You're like, oh my God. But these are the real boundaries that people contend with, especially when they are making a really powerful choice for their health. And especially when you have a cultural thread that goes, no, we eat like this right? So being very, very clear, please only feed my children the food that I send with them. Nothing else, right? Being extremely clear, not something like, I need you to respect my food choices more. That's ambiguous. It's vague. And there's a lot of wiggle room. Like, oh, sure. I respect it. So deciding is the first piece. Delivering it is the second piece, which is actually how you convey the message. So much of what I do is teaching the actual semantics and the wording of how do I establish that that boundary? How do I actually say, hey, (laughs) mother-in-law, thanks so much for all of the babysitting support that you give us. Please know that this is not coming from a place of trying to control things or be overbearing. This is genuinely coming from a place of caretaking for my children. It would mean the world to me if you would fill in the blank. And then the final phase, and that's a very, very short Cliff's Notes version. I typically spend you know weeks on that with people. But then the final piece, which I think can almost be the hardest, is enforcement, is actually enforcing the boundary. Because I'll tell you what, if you've lived- it's one thing to say, like getting really crystal clear on it and saying, okay, these are the foods that I approve for my child. Please don't feed them anything else more than that. And, and you just hope that that's the end of the conversation. Right. <laughs> you know, yes. We all just like, oh, are we good? You're not going to do it, right? <laughs> well, and, and a lot of times the other person is like, does she mean it? Does she really mean it? Let's, let's go ahead and test those boundaries, especially if it's been decades of the other way around. Like if you've always been the, in California, we would call it, you know, the totally girl instead of the yes man, right? Instead of, oh yes, yeah, whatever, whatever. Oh, totally. I'm happy to do that for you, whatever you need. And if you've behaved that way for years and years and decades, and then you all of a sudden have a new 
way that you're operating and you're presenting this, no matter how kind and compassionate you are, that's also a change for the people on the receiving end. It's not your responsibility, but it's also something to just be aware of. So the enforcement oftentimes is saying, hey, remember that conversation? I was actually serious about that, you know, and just saying, I'm sure you don't mean to be disrespectful and I really want to understand your perspective as well. I just want you to know that I really meant that and that that's something that's really serious to us. And then internally, you get to sort of have your own compass of how many times am I going to reiterate this boundary before I draw a line in the sand and have a consequence? It usually doesn't have to come to ultimatum status right away. So there it is, nutshell. <laughs> Three easy steps to establishing a boundary. <laughs> I'm sure you could just go get on it right now. <laughs> I'd start working through them all. I love that. And I think you're absolutely right. So often we have this kind of nebulous boundary that we put out there without any context or any specific action as to how people can implement it with us. And then, yeah, the thing that nobody wants to go back and do. And, and is it, is it the reason why we don't want to go back and enforce this is because it is so uncomfortable? Because can we talk about how uncomfortable? That's just elephant in the room is discomfort, right? I'm sure women are hearing this right now who mother-in-laws absolutely fed their kids McDonald's and Starbucks and who knows what and really didn't like it, especially if the child was struggling in school and had, you know, struggled with, with insulin levels or maybe they were putting on excess weight and they knew that it was from the mother-in-law or the grandma or whoever it was, right? how uncomfortable having this conversation could be making people right now just thinking about it, right? Absolutely. So here's what what I want you to hear about that. And I cannot agree with you more. Like when people say to me, oh, I just hate confrontation. I'm like, who the hell loves confrontation? Nobody's like, I can't wait. Sign me up for all these uncomfortable conversations. Right? I'm ready to get in it. I'm sure there's a rare few out there, but yes, it's pretty rare. For the most, you don't hear people ever say, I actually really like confrontation. Like, I love having these tough, awkward conversations. No, we don't. So, the thing that I want you to understand about why this is so imperative and so incredibly important is that if you are consistently silencing yourself over and over again, you are sending a subconscious message to yourself that everyone else's wants, opinions, and needs are more important than your own. And that is a self-worth issue, my friends. That's an enoughness. So if you at all struggle with this idea of I'm not good enough, I'm not smart enough, I'm not healthy enough, I'm not thin enough, I'm not competent, achieved enough, then there is a self-worth issue at play here. There's something about, I am not innately good enough. And if we are constantly engaging with other people in our world where we are making them more important than us, then we're continuing to condition that notion. So it becomes like, no wonder we self-sabotage. No wonder we do things to not put ourselves first. No wonder it's so challenging to get people to actually engage in self-care because we are constantly nurturing this idea that everybody else matters more than us, I should say. So keep that in mind that we are not doing this just for the hell of it. We are doing this to say, my wants, opinions, and needs matter and deserve to be fought for. And the other huge thing that we buy into is this idea that If I speak up for myself, then I am purposely inflicting pain on someone. I'm being malicious. I'm ill-intended. 
or that I can only achieve love or I'm only worthy if people approve of me, if they agree with me. And those, both of those two things are total fallacies. So we don't have to also get involved in huge, tough conversations. You know, you and I were talking before we started about sharing with family when you make a different dietary or lifestyle choice and how some family doesn't really love hearing about that. And oftentimes we think, okay, if I take a stand, I've, I've got to be snarky and I've got to be kind of, you don't have to get into it at all. You can actually say, oh, that's actually a decision that I've made for myself. I recognize that you don't abide by that and that's completely fine, but it's not something I really, it's, that's up for discussion. Like you don't have to talk all about macronutrients and get all involved in it if you don't want to talk about it. So you don't have to necessarily defend yourself around it or reason around it. It Absolutely. can just be what it is. Absolutely. I'll give you an example kind of from my own life. There was a situation where I was doing some community theater and there was a, a guy who I was working with and he sh- showed me a meme on his phone that was very disparaging, making fun of a mentally and physically disabled child. And in my opinion, that's not f- comedy. That's not funny. And I operate under this idea that I will not allow my silence to make me a liar. So I'm not going to be silent about something like that and just kind of laugh it off, which is the easy way. That would be the easy thing to do, like, ha, 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 and like walk away. But that would make me complicit. That would make it appear that I'm okay with that. And that's my integrity. I'm not willing to let that go down. But I'm also not interested in getting in a big old conversation about it. So I said, I don't actually find that very funny. I would, you know, you do you, but I would appreciate it if you just didn't share that with me in that kind of stuff with me in the future. All right. See you, see you in the green room or whatever, and just change the subject. I'm not going to get into it, but I am going to be very clear that I don't subscribe to that. I like that. I, I think that that's where we, we don't think that we can do it in a way that is just quick, easy, real clear. Hey, moving forward. I'm not really interested in that type of content. I'm really good. I think that we think that we have to get into it. And, and do you, have you really explored that? I'm sure so often your clients, women that you've worked with and people that you've worked with find themselves thinking that they need to, to over-explain or defend the position. Absolutely. And I feel like over-explaining is an extension of apologizing. It's saying, I need to validate my stance. For myself in my own life, I have always been very adamantly child-free by choice from very, very early on. And that did not go over very well that I got married when I was 20. Everyone assumed that I was pregnant. (laughs) And trying to get pregnant or yeah. And I'm like, that's not everybody's purpose in life, but okay. But in the early years, I felt very combative and adversarial. And I, I felt like I had to really explain my stance and my, and take them to school really. And then I realized like, first of all, that's my reproductive health. That's personal. We don't, that's none of your business. Right. So I would also tell everybody out there, just because somebody asks you a question doesn't mean you need to answer. So people would say, oh, so when are you guys going to have kids? And I would say, you know what? That's actually something that I'm not really interested in, but I don't want to continue this conversation. I truly hope you can understand. Or that's not something I feel comfortable discussing. I truly hope you can understand. 
Done. Case closed. Move on. Love it. I love that. That's powerful as well. It really did take practice. There were times when I had to write out literally what I wanted to say and then say it over and over and over and over again in, in the mirror in order for it to become second nature. So that is an important, I think, important delineation as well is that just kind of that recognition that this is going to, this, if you've been going about life, people pleasing or over explaining or in a way apologizing for over explaining that in order to get to this level of, Hey, it's, it's not a conversation I'm, I want to have right now, but I just want to close this down because I'm not, I'm not going to have this conversation. This, this would require some practice for most of us. And I, I know for me, as I'm listening, like there's a lot of places where I have boundaries and there's a lot of places where I've, like you said, you know, I've, I've, I've allowed for that. Like I, I took the easy way out and I'm sure so many of us, like, as we're having this conversation, they're just like, pop, 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 pop. Like they're just all the time. They're just like, oh my God, I totally did that. Like, and particularly complicit. One of the areas where I am not complicit is really um, allowing for rape culture. When I'll hear things that are, I'm just like, that actually is propagating a culture that I'm not okay with, I, I'm not willing to, to explore this conversation. And so this, that's an area where I really take a stand and I've, I've, pr- I've practiced those in terms of boundaries and I, have, I, I can shut that down really fast. But then there's other areas where I absolutely have let things go to the wayside. Like, I'm just like, I'm just gonna let this go. And so practice is really the, the key here. Cause I know, I know, I know so many women are like, I don't even know, how would I even get, I don't know anything about this. Like, how do I get started? <laughs> Like, it's just uncomfortable. Like, they're just like, oh, I don't, you know, I can just feel that. And I'm so, I'm sure so often when you're working with women, that's that first feeling like I am uncomfortable, I'm unhappy, but it, it feels so yuck, yuck to even start to think about having those boundaries. Well, I'm so glad you brought that up because so much of this is around emotional intelligence. And you think about Anytime you watch somebody on television, let's say being interviewed, and they start to tear up and get emotional, what is the first thing that they do? They say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for you having to see me being human. How many people listening go, I hate crying in front of people? Why? Because we say there's no option for you to be anything other than strong or happy or like we don't allow for emotional intelligence. So we oftentimes will ascribe certain monikers to how we're feeling that are completely wrong. One of the the biggest ones is guilt. I feel guilty. Guilty is if you've done something wrong according to you, not according to mom not according to your boss, according to you. But we say constantly, I feel bad. I could never say that. Oh my gosh, I feel so guilty. I feel so, have you done something wrong? No, not at all. You you really only need to experience guilt if you actually have something done something unbefitting of you. So one thing I would encourage you to do is call out the emotion. I feel compassion for this person who needs my help that I'm not able to come through for. Do I feel guilty? No, I'm not. I haven't done anything wrong, right? Or maybe I feel empathy. I feel concern. I feel uncomfortable. I feel straight up uncomfortable that this person wants one thing and I want another. This person thinks this is hilarious. I find it offensive. I feel uncomfortable. And that's okay. And the thing about emotions is that they're dramatic. They act like 
you know, it, all hell's going to break loose if you actually feel into them. But they're just messaging. That's it. It's just messaging to tell you that something's going on. The same way our body gives us messages, right? Like, hey, pay attention. Something's awry over here in your joints. Something's awry over here that you're so chronically tired. We need you to pay attention. We're sending in these messages. It's exactly what emotions are. That gives me so much more clarity as well. Just kind of feeling those out and just letting them come into play and owning them, even if it's for that moment. As we're having this conversation, no feelings of uncomfortability are happening for for people listening. And I just love that because it really opens the door for what's possible. I know that you have a tool because I know that some people are thinking, oh, I couldn't do this or I don't have what it takes to do this. Like there's that worthiness piece of there. How do we even begin to silence that inner critic, the inner person inside that's like not allowing us to step forward in this way and and really own the self-confidence, really own our boundaries, really own what's okay with us? Well, I think the first piece is to understand that our inner critic is actually a piece of our primitive wiring and that it's always fighting for homeostasis. It wants you to stay the same. And what that means is if you know, even though it's uncomfortable, even if you know how to people please, how to be a perfectionist, how to have a death grip on control, how to you know talk crap to yourself all the time, even though those things come with pain, they're familiar. They are hardwired in your neural pathways. So your inner critic goes, we know that, that's a known. We should stay with what is known. I don't know empowerment. I don't know what it's like to speak up. That seems wildly unsafe. Better send in all of this messaging. So understanding first off that your inner critic is genuinely just trying to keep you safe. It's just not doing the best job. (laughs) And it's based off of faulty notions about what is really causing danger and what isn't. So the first item of business is to do an inventory of what your inner critic is saying and when. When is the triggers, right? Is it always around parenting? Is it always around food choices? Is it always around medical-related things, ailments? Is it around competence and intellect? Some Most of us have it in a myriad of categories. But really noticing, does that, do I have an inner chatter that starts happening every time I drop my kid off at the, the carpool line or whatever it is? I don't know because I have no kids. <laughs> Dropping your child off at the carpool line. Somebody else is doing it. And there's an inner critic. Completely. Maybe it's every time you go to a work function. Maybe it's every time you have to deliver a speech. Maybe it's every time you're engaged with anything related to your body, looking in the mirror. So there's when that inner voice goes off and then what that inner voice is actually saying. And the other thing to know about this, speaking of emotional intelligence, is we receive information about ourselves in a multitude of ways. The two most common are literal, like you actually hear the words in your head of that's not possible for you, or you're going to mess this up, or you don't deserve happiness. You hear the words. And then for other people, you will receive it in an emotional feeling, like a gut punch. The example I often give is if you're scrolling through Instagram or scrolling through Facebook, and you maybe see somebody you went to high school with, and they're doing incredibly well. And you have sort of this pang or this gut feeling in your solar plexus that kind of go, ugh. And there's not literal words, but if you actually look at what's behind that emotion, there's an emotion of, 
you're not good enough or you could never have that. So you have to access the information however you get it, whether it's literal or emotional. And then a lot of people have both, right? Like that's me. I I hear it sometimes very literally and then sometimes it's more of an emotion. So you have to excavate behind it and going, what is this actually telling me? What did I just make up in my head when I felt that feeling? And we have to figure out what that is before we can substitute it. So the you know law of substitution, we can't just remove our thoughts. We have to start substituting them with something more powerful. Something that I suggest for people if you're just getting started in this is to simply say something to yourself like, wow, that wasn't helpful or that sure was not empowering or I'm not going to go down that thought process. Or one of my favorites from T. Harv Eker is cancel, cancel. Thank you for sharing (laughs) and just kind of canceling that vortex of thought. I love that one too. And I've heard things, similar things to cancel, like cancel or delete, delete, like, nope, that wasn't going to let that go. And, and just, again, that, that self-awareness of, of when is those, I think that that's so key is recognizing where the triggers come in. Cause it, it's, it's, again, it's that pattern. It's, it's all that neuroplasticity. Our bodies are, re, are wired to go back into that over and over and over again. Cause for some reason, like you said, it's, it's, it's for, we think it's a safety mechanism when it's not. Well, the body thinks it's a safety mechanism. It's not really Yeah, that's exactly right. And it's very simple that our mind our subconscious mind knows knowns and unknowns. Knowns are safe, even if they're not. And unknowns are not safe, even though they might be totally safe, right? So that's the whole homeostasis. I'm trying to get back to just what I know. That's why anytime we embark on something new, immediately those thoughts come in. Well, who do you think you are? Why do you, you're never going to be able to do that. It's not because it's dangerous. It's because it's actually uncharted territory. So just even having that compassion for how your, your brain operates can be huge and going, oh, I see what you're doing. How cute. You're trying to take care of me. Oh, we're actually not in danger, sweet pea. I love that. I love, love, love that. Just again, that recognizing those little, those little steps. And I think this has been so helpful. Last question. I know I've kept to you last question. And this is this an area where women, we all, we struggle. And, and that is, that's confidence, owning our confidence, like having JLo confidence, right? When we walk in the room, um, what, what do you think the secret to having confidence is? How do we, how do we harness that? Well, no one's going to like this, <laughs> but I was like, I have to ask this Yes, for sure. This is, I'm so glad that you did because a lot of times what we think is, okay, I will be confident when I've lost all this weight. I will be confident when I have all my energy back. I will be confident when I start this new business. I will be confident when I'm partnered. I will be fill in the blank. So we're kind of waiting around to conjure up some sort of magical confidence so that we can then progress on to life. And that's completely backwards. We only build confidence through repetition of trying and doing and actually being in action. So the idea is to start from a place of courage, not necessarily a place of confidence, because a lot of times that'll feel like it's eluded us. Like, I don't, I don't feel like I can conquer the world. But what I do feel like I can do is be courageous in this one piece of action. So let's say it's starting a new business. 
you know, or becoming a health practitioner or something that, that really lights your spirit on fire. And we think, okay, once my practice is booming, then I'll be confident. Well, we can't just make that happen right now. We have to take little small incremental action that's rooted in courage. And we can't have courage unless we have fear. So we have to acknowledge, okay, I'm scared of what people are think, will think. I'm scared of what my in-laws are going to say, or my parents are going to tell me to get a real job, or I'm nervous about the financial piece. Okay. That's normal. Of course it is. That's my body is telling me this is new. Everybody pay attention. And then you can go, okay, what's the most courageous action I can take? Because that is the path to confidence. Mm, I love that. That is so powerful. We can just like take the mic off and drop it on the (laughs) little mic drop moment. Um, Amy, you have given us so much food for thought. Not even just that. You have given us many steps moving forward. And I just want to, I just want to say thank you so much. This interview was all the things I wanted it to be and even more. I, I, you know, when you're starting to feel stuff yourself, you're like, Ooh, yeah, this is, this is powerful. Where can we get to know you? Where can we tap into you? Yeah. My little corner of the internet is over at thejoyjunkie.com. Junkie is J-U-N-K-I-E. I I will warn you that I'm a bit of a sailor, so (laughs) be prepared for some colorful language, I should say. But I have tons of freebies over there on the site, and I do a podcast myself, and my husband is my little sidekick. So come hang out. I hang out mostly on Insta like you do as far as social, so... Yeah, come grab some freebies, learn some stuff, say hello. Awesome. And on Instagram, is it the Joy Junkie as well or is it you? Yep. Okay, awesome. Perfect. So we know where to to plug in. Thank you so much, Amy. And by the way, my husband and I, we work together as well. So it's so fun to see a husband and wife duo doing the big work in the world that you guys are doing. So I just want to say that is so awesome. Oh, thank you. I've had a blast. Absolutely. See you soon. So much to unpack in this interview with Amy. I just love the way that she articulated how uncomfortable it can be to establish boundaries and to fully own our values. I mean, let's be honest, it's the elephant in the room. The reason why we're not doing it is it feels so uncomfortable and her acknowledging that just felt so good to me. Lastly, I absolutely loved her advice about silencing that inner critic that we all know so well. I have been practicing the alt-delete or the delete-delete statement inside of my head when I catch myself falling into a limiting belief and I find myself putting myself down for whatever reason it may be. And it has been so powerful because it gives me that opportunity to get awareness around it, to recognize it, and then just zap it out. Just like, nope, delete-delete, that does not exist in my conscious. Now, I would love to know, what did you think about Amy's just conversation around boundaries, conversation around confidence, and even conversation around that inner critic. I would love to hear about like what it actually meant to establish effective boundaries. Now, I would love for you to reach out to me on Instagram at Dr. Marisa and tell me what you thought. Like, are there things that you're going to practice? Are there takeaways that you're going to begin to implement? I know for me, this was such a powerful episode because there were so many little things I, I hadn't thought of, the complexities of of why we get stuck into people-pleasing or the kind of boundaries that we create that aren't necessarily effective. So go go onto IG, go onto Instagram, at Dr. Marisa, DM me, let me know what you thought about this episode. 
And thank you so much for stopping by and listening in to the Essentially You podcast. On our next episode, we are bringing hormones back with a dear friend of mine, Krista. She's going to be sharing her thoughts on synergistic foods for the central nervous system, the brain, the adrenals, and the thyroid. You know how much I love talking about these, these organ systems and endocrine gland systems in the body. So we are going to get into it on the next episode. Until then, I can't wait to hear from you on Instagram and have an amazing day. 